Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Those that are joining us on live stream or joining us later, it's good to see you. My name is Rob, and I serve as one of the pastors here at the church. And wasn't that baby dedication wonderful? Man, praise the Lord. I was, I was telling Dustin, we're going to grow this church one way or another. Amen. So uh, we're really excited about what God is, uh, is doing here at The Rock. And happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are there. Let's give moms a hand, please. So uh, we have a, a special gift for moms on their way out. We'll have the, the women of our ladies ministry team handing out flowers. And so uh, make sure you grab one. If you're here and you haven't been here before or this is your first time in a long time, you can communicate us by you, uh, with us by using the connection card. We would love to have some information so that we can keep you up to date on what's happening here at The Rock. If you have a, a message for us or a prayer request, you can put that on the connection card as well. It's not a visitor's card. So if you've been going to The Rock for 20, 30 years and you need to contact us, that, that's a good way to do it. So make sure you're using those as well. So we are in the middle of our series in Galatians and we're up to chapter three, but I want to kind of set the context about where we've been uh, since the beginning. So there's this overarching term that believers need to understand and grasp, uh, take a hold of and, and really love and let it sink deeply inside of us. And this is what the Bible describes as grace. And I, I, hope, I hope you understand, and I hope that the word of God has been conveying to you that having the grace of God isn't some extra thing. It's not just like a, a bonus round or something that gets attached to our salvation. The only way that you and I are saved and remain saved is because of the grace and mercy of God. We, grace really is this standing and favor with the almighty God that you and I are not supposed to enjoy. All of us have done things, we've said things, and we've thought things that have displeased God. And because of this character defect, the character defects that we have, our sinful nature, you and I are supposed to be separated from God because of the sin nature that we inherited from our parents, Adam and Eve. And ever since the Garden of Eden, every person that's born was born as a sinner. And this sin separates us from God. But we know all the way back in the book of Genesis, hey, even before that, before time began, God had a plan to save mankind from their sin. And that plan wasn't a plan B. It wasn't a, oops, I didn't realize they were going to do that. From the very beginning, before time, God had ordained that his son, Jesus Christ, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, was going to come down to earth and live among men for 33 and a half years and be tempted in every point that we were, be around sinners and publicans and Pharisees and, and, and tax collectors and people of, of, of different ethnicities. And he would all center and all would center around him coming to give himself over to be tortured, beaten and die to pay the price for the sins that I've committed in my life. Three days after Jesus Christ hung on a cross, he rose again from the dead with his own power because, you know, he's God. 
And because God not only died for my sins, God raised himself up. I know that I have forgiveness of sins because Jesus clearly died for it. And then three days later, clearly rose again, showing me he not only can forgive me, he can save me and give me eternal life. All that I don't deserve. I don't deserve any of it. But he gave it to me freely and he loved me so much. Here's where the grace of God takes it to the next level that I think some of us sometimes are afraid to talk about it. God loved me so much that he chose me before time began to do this for me. So when I found Jesus, it wasn't like, that's not really what happened. It's what I think happened. It's how I interpret what happened. But God really found me and he found you. If you're sitting here right now, it is not by mistake. God in his sovereignty brought you to this moment right now. And for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our savior, we know that even though it seems like we found him, we definitely know he moved through history to find us. And for some of us, we're here visiting because a baby is getting dedicated or because it's Mother's Day. And in order to make sure that, that mom didn't give you that passive aggressive guilt, you came with mom to church today. Praise God for that passive aggressive guilt because God's going to use it to hopefully save you today. We're thankful for the grace of God. We wouldn't be able to live a life inside the bounds of the word of God, the Bible, if it wasn't for grace. This standing, this favor we have with God that we don't deserve, that we can't work for, that it doesn't come religiously. It comes by simply surrendering to the fact that there's nothing that you and I can do on our own to save us or to give us a relationship with Jesus. We, we can't. We can't. We can't. There's nothing we can do. And so Jesus Christ went above and beyond what we can do and died on the cross for our sins. It's grace is so amazing. I want you to understand you. You're not even, you don't even help. You don't even help God. Do you know that you don't even help God? It's not like you took it this far and then God kicked it the rest of the way. God is not going to give you a, a, an assistance. Okay. God doesn't finish it. You did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to earn it. I wasn't even looking for God and I grew up in church. A lot of us, because of the cultural background that we have and the traditions that we hold dear, we may have been brought up in religious circles, but that's not what saved us. It's what gave us the opportunity to hear more. So praise God. This is one of the reasons why I'm so thankful. Although I don't worship America, I am very thankful I was born an American. Because there are people around the world right now that have never heard the name of Jesus. So it's by grace that you are even born in a place that has the freedom of religion and the freedom of speech for you to hear about the gospel. Amen. But don't praise the Constitution. Don't praise America. Praise the Lord who allowed you to be born here. You have nothing to do with earning salvation. It's all through grace. And this grace goes beyond just Jesus Christ 
dying for our sins and giving us eternal life. Jesus Christ also ushered in the Holy Spirit coming down to indwell every believer. The Holy Spirit has always been there. He's the third member of the Trinity. He's just as important as God the Father and God the Son. And the Holy Spirit did did something. Back in the Old Testament, he would indwell a certain person. The, the Bible says that the Spirit would come on a certain person in order, and then in order to fulfill what God had him to do. When Jesus Christ died for our sins, every person who receives Jesus Christ as their Savior immediately gets the indwelling of this third person of the Trinity. So even though we sing the song, Since Jesus Came Into My Heart, that's not exactly theologically accurate. Jesus doesn't go to your heart. The Holy Spirit indwells you. This is the part of you that stays saved. This is the new man that the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, seals us to the day of redemption. We can't lose our salvation because the Holy Spirit has indwelt us. You did nothing to earn that either. You can thank grandma for bringing your church, to bring you to church, but you don't thank grandma for saving you because that's, she didn't do it either. She had the same journey you did. So this grace, this unmerited favor, this supernatural enabling because of the Spirit of God to be able to live in the confines of the Word of God so that you can please God, all that is something that we didn't do. God has done so much for us that when Paul writes this letter to the Galatian churches, He's, he's pretty vocal in being upset and being distraught and even a little bit angry because there were these false teachers coming into the church and I don't even know if they knew that there were false teachers or not. They claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Paul will say later that he thinks some of them were uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. But what they would do is they would come in and they would remember all the stuff that they grew up with, the stuff that grandma brought up, the stuff about like, like you know, uh, if you're from Jewish culture, which is where this centered in on, things like the Old Testament law and sacrifices and feasts and, and, and things that Jewish people did, that the, the men would all get circumcised on the eighth day, that there were, there were certain clothing that they would have to wear. There were certain food that they were not allowed to eat. There were certain uh, times and days of the week that they were supposed to and not supposed to do things. And all of these things, had become so traditional to them and part of their life to come now to Jesus Christ and say all of that stuff in their mind being null and void didn't make sense. They missed that Jesus Christ came to fulfill everything that they've been doing their entire life. Every tradition, every sacrifice, every ritual, every holiday, all in the Old Testament, God put there in order so that when Jesus Christ came, they knew exactly why Jesus Christ came, to fulfill all of the stuff of the Old Testament. So instead of me having to give a bull or a goat every time I get mad at somebody, instead of me having to uh, bring my whole family to Jerusalem in order to, for, 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 for the Day of Atonement, in order, uh, instead of me having to go to a priest or wait for the high priest to, to sprinkle blood in order to make sure that we and the nation were okay with God, Jesus Christ paid that price and he satisfied everything the Old Testament spoke about. So because of that, but think about it, you grew up in that. This is the, maybe some of the best memories that you have of your life. 
grandma, mom and dad all sitting by on the Passover dinner. You, you, you know what you're going to say. You know the, the routine. For some people, it became mundane. But for some, these are the childhood memories. And they come to this, this new thing, this church. And all of a sudden, in their ears, they're hearing this doesn't matter anymore and not hearing that Jesus Christ fulfilled all of that. You see, it's per- perception sometimes gets us in trouble. If we hear things the wrong way, we interpret it the wrong way. And, and these Judaizers, they heard it as, no, Jesus, fine. He's the Messiah, great. I, I-, I believe in Jesus, but man, all the stuff I grew up with, that's still gotta be okay. And maybe some of us are in the same boat. Maybe the religious background that we came from causes us to have some of the greatest memories of our life. Maybe going to mass is something that you remember and that you remember generations going to mass and receiving the sacrament of communion. Maybe that's something that that you remember. Or maybe you went to a church that, that, that preached the gospel, but they had all these rules and regulations about who you hang out with and who you don't hang out with and how you dress and what instruments to use and what instruments not to use. We remember these things. And we're like, man, these are greatest memories that we have. And then one day, you and I realized, because the word of God was preached and something moved you to listen a little bit closer, and you realize that it was Jesus Christ who saved us plus nothing else. That our tradition is great, our culture is great, but Jesus Christ is the only one that can save us. Jesus Christ and communion can't save us. Jesus Christ and baptism can't save us. Jesus Christ and being a good giver can't save you. Jesus Christ and going to church doesn't save you. Grandma bringing you to church didn't save you. Only Jesus can save you. And when you heard that, what did it do? It changed your life. It caused you, this, these lights went on. The, the cloudiness dissipated. And you were, for the first time, not, not burdened about where you were going to go when you die, but you were excited that you now knew that you would live with Jesus forever. And, and things started happening. You started wanting to read your Bible. You started wanting to, to go to church. You started wanting to invite your friends. You started wanting to share with people all of the great things that Jesus did for you. And then you found a local body of people who the same thing happened to them. And you started going to not just going to church, you became a part of a church. Do you guys remember that? How exciting that was when you realized who Jesus is? And then you think about your past, and some of us, for me, I remember I was upset for a while about the way I grew up, even though I grew up in church, because I was never really told what it meant to accept Jesus. Part of it was because, as you know, my, my background, I grew up in a Spanish-speaking church, and I never really got a good hold of the language. But because of the church that I grew, uh, growing up in, and I, and I praise God for my home church, they've been around for almost 90 years, so let's give them, you know, like a little bit of credit, amen, and people are getting saved. But like, you know, a lot of first and second generation immigrants who wanted to keep the culture and the language. And so it was really difficult for them to want to start doing things for English speaking people. And I was one of them, though. So I was one of the casualties for that. And it wasn't until I was almost a senior in high school that I went down to this Christian camp and I heard the gospel in English and I got saved. 
things were so different. I, I remember just being that, that, that bratty teenager that always thought he was right and, and, and you know, yelling back at my mom and dad. This time, it, it hurt that I did that. And it bothered me that I would disobey my parents. Now, by the way, that wouldn't be the last time I disobeyed them, okay? <laughs> you know, I, I think things were different. I wanted to read my Bible. I wanted to have Christian friends. Things were just different. And I think about the Apostle Paul who had a way more dramatic conversion than probably anybody in this room had. I mean, literally, remember, do you remember? What was, what was Paul all about? Paul was about arresting and killing Christians, okay? So, like, here's Christian, right? Paul's not even Christian adjacent. Paul's, like, completely the other way, the Old Testament, the, the rules and regulations of the law. Everything that he learned, everything that he grew up with was so important that he wanted people who were just accepting Jesus to die for it. That's where Paul was. Man, he's going up to Damascus to put Christians in jail, and he had letters from, from officials and Roman officials, uh, Roman and religious officials to, to incarcerate them. And then Jesus stops him. I mean, like dead in his tracks. It wasn't like Paul was like, I wonder if I'm doing the right thing. No, he's like, no, I'm doing the right thing. And Jesus goes, no, you're not, and stops him. If there's never a clearer understanding that Jesus saves us and we don't save ourselves, it's Paul. Paul wasn't looking for God. Paul thought he found him and realized he was completely wrong. So the story goes, Paul is on his way to Damascus. The Holy Spirit, Jesus stops him, tells him, hey, this is what your job is going to be. You are going to reach the nations. You are going to make blind people see. You are going to make people who are in the dark finally see the light. And then Paul realizes that, man, this is, this is bigger than any kind of religious exercise that he could do. And so he finds his way to Damascus. He starts meeting uh, believers. Some of the believers obviously are scared because this guy is like public enemy number one to Christians. And some of them get messages from this Holy Spirit saying, hey, this is happening. Paul is now one of you. And so Paul begins to declare the gospel and the rest is history. So Paul understands the grace of God. He starts, he starts planting churches. He takes people with him. He goes to cities like Galatia, cities like Ephesus, cities like Philippi, these chief cities. And he goes and churches start being planted. Some of them are being persecuted. Some of them are going to be underground. But these are all people who have experienced the grace of God. And where Paul traveled, he traveled to places that were beyond the Holy Land. And so he saw, yes, Jewish Christians because he would always start preaching in the synagogues. But then he would see so many more Gentile Christians coming, uh, Gentile people coming out and coming to Jesus. By the time the church got planted and established, there were Jews and Gentiles in this church. First time, for, think about it, if you were a Jewish Christian, all your religion is around who? Jewish people, right? For me, anything religious that I can remember is around, is around independent fundamental Baptist. For some of you, the only thing you can remember is, is being a part of Mennonites, right? This is all you remember. It's all it is. And so imagine all of a sudden there's these people that you usually didn't see in the congregation now here and you're all told that you all are under the same grace that God gave you and you begin praising God and then these, these people come in 
who say they've received Jesus, but then they say, no, 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 no. Yes, Jesus is great, but you can't, you can't take everything else that happened in the Old Testament and say, no, you don't do this anymore. So, man, you still got to get circumcised. You still got to perform the feast. You still got to do this and you still got to do that. And now get this. All of these people have scripture to back what they're saying. Right? They go to the Old Testament. They say on the eighth day, look, no, look. And so these new believers are like, what? They know this is what happens to some of us because we're not growing in our walk with the Lord by getting in the word. We sometimes take whatever somebody says because they have more knowledge than us. And we go, well, they know more than we do. They must understand. I'm telling you, I'll challenge you. Anything that I say up here, go home and find it to make sure what I'm saying is right. This is not the church of Pastor Rob. This is the church of Jesus Christ. The church said the final authority is not what I say. It's the word of God. And so go look. And so there was this question. There was this debate. And, and, and this is the thing. And this gets into the end of chapter 2 and chapter 3 where, where we'll pick up at. Man, Paul's hot. And Paul's upset. And the reason why is because these false teachers didn't say a lick until Paul left. And so by the time he left, and they, and they were, I mean, they were trashing his ministry because he wasn't there, right? And here's what they were saying. Well, Paul didn't give you everything. And, and trust me, Paul, you know, I mean, I know he wants to be here, but look, once again, he's on another missionary journey or he's in jail again. And that's how they would do it. And then they would also ask for pay. They say, hey, we want to be paid to be your teachers. And they would come in. They would come in these scholarly robes, just like the Pharisees would come in. And they would claim to be more than what they were. And so these new Christians, they didn't know what to do. They didn't have enough Bible to, to even cause them to, to look further. They, and, and remember, let's give them a little bit of credit. They didn't even have a full Bible. They had an Old Testament that they didn't even know about, right? They didn't grow up with it. They didn't know that much about it. And so they asked questions. And so Paul writes back. And you remember in chapter one, he goes, I am shocked that you are so quickly removed from the grace that you learned about. This is what bothers, for those of us who know Jesus, right? It should bother us when anybody tries to add anything to Jesus, when someone tries to say you have to dress a certain way or, or listen to the certain things or do, all these things should, should rub us to the core. That like, man, like, what do you mean? It's just about Jesus. Because realize the grace of God is what gives you the ability to, to follow the word of God. Without the grace of God, you and I can't follow this book. We'll try. We don't know. We're not going to be able to learn what this book says without having the Holy Spirit to teach it to us. And so when we talk about grace, it should be something that we should cherish, but also understand what it means. Because if anybody tries to add anything to that or show us anything that's less than that, we should try to stay away from that. So I said a lot. Let's all stand and let's turn to Galatians chapter three. Now I want you to I really want you to think about what it says in the first verse because Paul comes out strong and he says, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you 
before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing in what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by the spirit? Are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing if in fact it was for nothing? So then does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard, just like Abraham who believed God and was credited for him to righteousness? You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying, all nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it's written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law because righteous, the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Jesus Christ so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say, and to the seeds, as though referring to many, but to one and to your seed who is Christ. My point's this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancels the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. Why then was the law given? It was, a, it was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed who, to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not one just for one person alone, but God is one. The law, therefore, is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to forgive, then righteousness would be certainly on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ who, to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by the faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer the guardian for through faith you are all sons of God in Jesus Christ. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There's no Jude or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks for standing. So Paul says a mouthful, right? But he starts out by saying, you foolish Galatians. Basically, he's saying, I remember, he, this is the book where he talks about us, that about him being an apostle, even before talking about him being a servant. So he's going to talk with some authority. He goes, you guys are, you guys are being foolish. You guys are acting foolish. And, and, the, and the foolishness comes from the question that he asked in the beginning. Why would we go back to things that Jesus Christ already fulfilled? Why are we going back to things that Jesus Christ already took care of? And the issue is this. Sometimes we forget what Jesus Christ did because the pressure of the moment causes us to go back to what's safe. 
This is what people, the, the, the younger Jewish Christians or the ones that are already believing this, this nonsense, they already went back to something that was more familiar to them. And so they said, hey, we can do both. We can serve Jesus and still remain uh, true to the, all the things that the Old Testament taught us to do. And Paul is saying, if you don't realize that Jesus Christ fulfilled the Old Testament, then you don't realize who Jesus Christ is. And so he talks about them being foolish. He talks about, about them being immature. And he says this, when I came, the gospel was so clearly presented to you, it was as if Jesus Christ was hanging on a cross right in front of you. Like, that's what he said. The spirit moved mightily so much so that when he preached the gospel, it was as if Jesus was right there hanging on the cross and then rose again from the grave. He said, man, you, it was portrayed as crucified. And so he asked him, now remember when you received the message of Jesus, he asked this, and he goes, and he said this very nicely, I, I want to learn this from you, I want to ask you a question. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or believing what you heard? It's a good question. It's a question that every single one of us needs to deal with, even though we're not at the church of Galatia, you're like, Rob, we don't live in the first century, leave us alone. No, this is something that you need to answer. Did you receive the Spirit of God when you got saved? If you did, why did you get saved? Why did the Spirit indwell you? Because you were following the works of the law? Because you were doing good stuff? Or because you believed what was being taught about Jesus Christ when you got saved? So if it was the first thing, well, you know, Rob, I've been going to church my whole life. Well, Rob, you know, I mean, from a little kid, my, my, my mom and dad taught me the scriptures. And I know, I know all the things about the book. I went to Sunday school the whole time. And I give and I come to church every week. Those are all works. I mean, they're good stuff. But they're not going to get you to heaven. If this is the way that you think that you know Jesus Christ because of all the stuff that you do, you've missed it. When you received Jesus and you received the Spirit. Did you work for that? Did you pay for that? Or did you realize there was nothing you could do to earn it so you decided to receive Jesus Christ? Okay, so if the answer is the first part, then you just need to receive Jesus Christ, and we'd love to share with you how you can do that. But if you did receive Jesus Christ by believing what you heard, then that this is the question, this follow-up is this. Did you experience so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing? Was, was what you did in vain? Did that really happen? So he wants us to go back to that moment that we received Jesus Christ. Did that really happen? Did you really receive Jesus? If that's true, then God gives you the spirit to work miracles among your doing by the works of the law? Or is it, again, by believing what you heard? So, so, when God, so when God continues to move in your life after you receive Jesus Christ, is God moving in your life or is that you working for stuff? Did God pay that bill that there was no way that you could pay because you did good or because God loves you? Did God heal you from your cancer because you worked hard or is it because he loves you? And he did. All the miracles, all the things that God has done in your life, did you do it or did he do it? Because if he did it, then that's by faith, not by stuff in the law. So it's, it's really a very basic question. Get, you know, go by, get, get away from all of the, 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 the rigmarole of the Old Testament and all that stuff. Just think about this. Did you save yourself? Yes or no? Does God continue to work in your life because you did or he did it? Yeah, which one is it? Because if it's that God did it, then you're saved by faith, not by works. 
And so adding things to Jesus, like continuing to perform sacrifices or getting circumcised or not eating certain things, that's all work. What good does that do you if it was just Jesus? Remember, there's a difference between saying in the Old Testament, thou shalt not murder, that one we got to keep, guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie. Right, because those are clearly things that God doesn't like. They're sins. But man, don't eat bacon? God forbid. I mean, that's the one that, and you, and you would think for guys in this room, it would be the circumcision, but no, it's the bacon. It's, 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 the, it's, the, it's, it's the food that we can't eat. I mean, so imagine this first century church that, I mean, clearly got it. They weren't even following the Old Testament. They came to know Jesus and they're like, why would we have to do this? But he's appealing to those who do, who were Jewish. He's saying, hey guys, yes, this is your background. Yes, there's nothing wrong with the Old Testament, but man, you didn't get saved because you followed the Old Testament. And he's going to talk about later because you can't. There's no way you can follow all of it. But then he brings it back. And so what does he talk about? He talks about Abraham. He, he says, just verse six, just like Abraham, who did what? Believed God. It was credit to him for righteousness. That's verse six. Just like Abraham, who believed God, it was credit for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Okay, so now, now he's cutting right at the core of, of Jewish people. He's saying, I'm sorry, who are Abraham's kids? Because remember, Jews had this elitist nature about, hey, we're from Abraham, right? I don't know where y'all came from, but I came from Abraham, right? And, and, and Paul's like, no, no, no. If you receive Jesus Christ by faith, you are the sons of Abraham. And he says, what do you, what do you mean by that? He's saying this. See, and they talked about this a little bit later, but let's bring it up now. It says it in the, in the Bible, but maybe you just know history. How long before, and the number was in there, so maybe you, you heard it if you want to look it up real quick and cheat. What, what's the number of years between Abraham and the law? It's 400, and he puts it in that passage, 430, right? So he's saying this. Okay, you all claim to be Abraham's kid. The Bible says Abraham believed God and accounted for him for righteousness. Abraham lived four centuries before the law was written. I mean, what do you, Abraham didn't have the law, but Abraham believed God and accounted him for righteousness. Well, this is what God told Abraham. Through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. That's as much as Abraham knew about who Jesus Christ was, that through his seed, the entire world would be blessed. Talking about Jesus and all Abraham had to do was believe that. And the Bible says that counted as him now being a son of God. It was only by faith. And he didn't even have a lot of information. Not only that, the Bible's clear. And all the way back in Genesis, God was talking about being multi-ethnic and multicultural. It was never supposed to be just Jewish people coming to Jesus. The entire world, all nations would be blessed through Abraham's seed, Jesus. See, some of us, we, we, we forget that the things that saved us were things that were intangible. Things that we had to believe, not be act on. 
So think about this for a second. Those of you who received Jesus Christ as an adult, right? Later on in life. If you're bold enough, can you raise your hand for me? Who, who of us here got saved a little later, right? Okay, so it's clear to say though, growing up you may have had some religion, but it wasn't like you knew all the books of the Bible, right? Okay, so that's like saying, hey, you can come to Jesus by not knowing anything about the Bible, just believe in Jesus, but man, as soon as you get saved, you better follow the Bible. How, that is so, I mean, how messed up is, how, how would you do that? My friends, that, 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 that's a fixed game. That's cheating people. Why then? Why do people want to point people to themselves instead of pointing people to Christ? Because we are selfish, egotistical people who want people to act just like us. We are so messed up in our relationships that we want people. Well, who do we hang out with? People who think like we think. Who do we want? I'm good. I love y'all. I love you guys. Okay. But some of you are trying to invite your friends to come to this church because you want your friends to come to church. And you ain't talking to your neighbor next door that doesn't know Jesus. You're trying to poach people from another church so that you can have all your friends in church. Stop doing that. If they go to a church that doesn't preach Jesus, invite them over. But man, if it's just so you can have your, your selfie with all your friends during brunch, no. Why do we want to point people to ourselves instead of Jesus? Why is it when someone wants to talk about, you know, we say, well, I do this and I do that. When I pray, I do this. And I, who cares, man? Point people to Jesus, not yourself. But here's the problem. I shouldn't point people to myself, not only because I should point people to Jesus, because I'm no one to be pointed at. I'm a sinner. None of us should be pointing people to ourselves because we're wicked, wicked, rotten sinners that are only saved by the grace of God. Every single day, you and I perform acts that, that displease God, yet we're trying to bring people to ourselves. Why would we do that? Why point people to sinners, point them to Jesus? So think about this for a second. I don't know about you, but if somebody tells me to don't push a button, I want to push that button so bad. It's like, hey, Rob, like when I was growing up, my mom was like, don't touch this. And that's like the only thing I want to touch for the rest of the day is because she told me, don't touch that. Right? Verse 19, I want you to read with me. Why then was the law given? This is, this is not a facetious question. This is a very good question. Right? Because if all this stuff is true, that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and the law can't save us, it's like, if you think about it for a minute, if, if you don't read the entire word of God, it's kind of like we're dissing the law, right? We're like, well, what's the point of it? Like, you know, we've actually, you know, some preachers actually say it this way, unhitched from the Old Testament. No, 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 no. Why is the law, why was the law given to us? The Bible says it was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed, who was the promise, would, be, would, would come. The law was put into effect through angels by the means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. So the law, the Bible says, it was a placeholder till Jesus came. Okay? Why was the law given to us? The Bible says the law was our guardian, verse 24, 
until Jesus Christ could come so that we can be justified by faith. What was the point of the law? So one of the things that would happen as I got older, my mom would say, and I got bolder because like, I mean, to this day, I'm still scared of my mom and dad. Like I'm a grown adult, but if my dad gives me a look, I'm done. Like I'm just sitting down doing nothing. Right. But there was a day where I thought I was good, like I was smarter than my parents. And so when they told me don't push a button, not only did I want to push that button, guess what question I asked? Why? And what, what do you think my dad told me? Because I said so. Right? So here's the point of the law. Sometimes, because I said so, doesn't work. And so why don't I push that button? The law tells us if we push that button, we've sinned against God. And all the things when you read in the law, those who followed the law, the Bible says those who followed the ordinances of God had a longer, healthier life. Those who didn't follow the word of God had a really rough life. And so the law was there to show us not only that it's good to follow God, but what, did, what do you and I find out about any kind of rules and regulations that we're supposed to watch or, 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 or obey? We wind up disobeying them. And the Bible says that the law is so powerful when you, when you offend one point, when you break one part of the law, you offend or break the whole thing. So there's no way that anyone could say that, yes, I obey the word of God to its entirety. No, you don't. Because if you said that, you just lied and you just broke the word of God. So the law, Romans says, is a schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. It means the law teaches us a few things. The law teaches us that God is holy. The law teaches us that if we follow the law, to, that we will have a, a good, prosperous life. The problem is we can't find, follow the law, so we're never going to have a good and prosperous life. Therefore, we need a Savior that will give us the grace to have that prosperous life. So here's what I mean by all this. Just to close up. How are you saved today? How do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ today? Is it because you grew up in church? Is it because mom and dad brought you? Is it because you give? Is it because you think you do good things? Or was there a moment or a time in your life that you realized there was no way that you could be forgiven of your sins and given a home in heaven unless you received Jesus Christ as your savior? My question is this, is your relationship with God based on what you did or on what he's done for you. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And I want us to think about this. Is our relationship with God through Jesus Christ or through performing works or being a good person or whatever it is? Let's take a few moments and let's pray about that. What does it mean to have the grace of God? What does it mean for us to be saved by faith in Christ alone?